welcome to a very special episode of Because I've Lost Control of My Life. It's our very first ever interview episode. Uh, I'm not even making a joke because of how excited I am about uh, this interview that we did earlier today with uh, Michael Bell, the voice of Chaz, Drew Pickles, uh, Grandpa Boris, and many, many others on the show. It was uh, tremendous. What do you think, Adam? It was it was an experience. He's got a he's had a lot to talk about. He he answered a lot of our questions before we even asked them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> good time. Really, really organic conversation, I think is a good word for it. Organic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't even drink during it I drank <laughs> a little before. I can't emphasize enough what a great time it was having someone on our show that has just Given us so many laughs and such a good time over the years. So instead of us just rambling, let's uh, go right to the interview right now. So hit it, Johnny. So we're here today with Michael Bell, who is someone who we are personally very big fans of and quite frankly, is one of the voices of our childhood. Uh, Michael, um, our first question for you is, uh, who are you and why are we so excited? I don't know why you're excited. <laughs> I'm not excited being me, so I don't know why you're excited being with me. But uh, I'm Michael Bell, and yeah. I'm an actor, and uh, I've done voices for a lot of the shows in the 70s and the 80s and a few in the 90s. Oh, yeah. We, when we were... Uh... <laughs> We already knew like a lot of the stuff you did, but when we were going through your career, like there were definitely some big surprises for us. Yeah. So like, a, so yeah, going back, like Plastic Man, uh, the Wonder Twins. <laughs> oh, right. I, I was afraid you, were, you tripped over some adult films or something. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something we should know here, Michael? No, there's none. There's, except for one film called Damaged Goods, where I wind up getting the clap, but that's a lot. <laughs> um, Tremendous. Yeah, I did all those goodies, all those, all that stuff. I was a non-camera actor for a number of years, just on a lot of shows for Universal Studios, and then um, got into voiceovers. Cool. Um, so, how? Let's actually talk a little bit more about your your background, uh, how you grew up, where you went to school, and let's tie that into how you got into acting and voice acting to begin with. I got. Uh, I was born in uh, uh, Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn. Which is why I'm Brooklyn Mike, and <laughs> and uh, I lived in New York for Brooklyn for a long time, and then eventually went to the High School of Performing Arts in Manhattan, and from there uh, decided to uh, I would thought I'd stay for Broadway, and then I just felt all the work was going on in Hollywood. I wanted to do films, so I went to Hollywood, and nothing happened for a great many years, and I didn't connect until I was in my thirties. Oh and wow! I started to work, yeah. Well, that gives hope for us, uh, us schlubs here. We're uh, mid-30s schlubs, so. <laughs> Where are you at? Where are you living? Where are you guys at? Located? Uh, I'm in the Pittsburgh area. Adam? Uh, I'm in uh, Maryland, just a bit north of D.C., but I'm also, I'm from the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Is there anything in there? You guys, you guys want to do voiceover. Is there anything there that, that you train with, any people you train with? As far as? Uh, Training to train for voiceovers. To ah, yes, yes. Um, a few years ago, I myself took a class at uh, the institution is now defunct, but uh, Pittsburgh filmmakers um, with an audio engineer slash voice coach named Jack Bailey. Or, uh, yeah, Jack Bailey. I must said Jack <laughs> Riley for a second. <laughs> could be Jack Riley. Yeah, could it be that. Jack Riley? <laughs> that one I would know. 
Well, let's um, because I, the reason I ask is because I'm starting a class in July. I start teaching again in July. I'm teaching by Zoom. Oh, cool. Okay. Voice animation class for uh, five weeks by Zoom. So, but I'm saying, you know, if you guys um, are really wanting to study, you should get into an improv group like the Groundlings. The Groundlings, you can learn from the Groundlings on Zoom. Okay. okay. It's a huge, huge improv group in Hollywood. I mean, they're quintessential. If you look at every major comedy star now, they all started at the Groundlings. Wow. Yeah, well, I, I've definitely seen uh, a lot of big names from there. So that's cool. Um, and uh, let's, let's, let me just, not to cut you off, Adam, but let me just jump right into this. Um, you mentioned this was going to come up later, but since you brought it up, I'll say it now. Can you tell us a little bit about your voice acting classes? Sure. Uh, I teach you to, how, first of all, my technique, which is really important. Yeah. And then I start building a character vocally. Uh, most of the characters we have built over the years, and I can name all the guys that I've worked with and all the ladies that I've worked with, they come from characters that we have uh, seen in films, from old films mostly, because those were character actors and actresses. Uh, you had people like when we started out, I think like Frank, myself, and all the guys, we started out doing imitations of uh, Peter Laurie and Barlett, Boris Koloff. <laughs> You know, and a lot of the characters, like they were seeing some characters I did for Plastic Man. I used those, those character actors. And then as new character actors came up, I would use uh, George C. Scott if I was a really heavy character or uh, um, people of that nature. And then Jack Palance at one point, I used him as a heavy. So when you vocally listen to someone, because you can't see them, you have to vocally give that impression. You paint the picture, as it were. You literally paint the picture. So if, unless you know how to paint that picture, you're going to be deep caca other than just doing your own voices. I mean, you know, if you have your own character, you're just, you're just doing your own voices. But you have to know how to, how to uh, create those characters vocally and also get kind of a physical feeling for them and act. Bottom line is acting. I tell everybody, the bottom line is acting. It's not just doing a voice. Rich Little was a wonderful comic and a marvelous uh, mimic, etc., but he couldn't act. Yet there are there were wonderful mimics, but they, they also could act. And yeah. they were able to eventually translate that into a, doing voice animation. Because you create the back characters, and then they, they will illustrate to you. Then they create it to you. So that's what I, that's how I teach. So would you say there's a physical element to it? There's always a physical element. I don't know if you remember, there's a marvelous actress named Joni Gerber who used to do a lot of, did tons of voices. She was one of the top voice ladies in the business. And uh, she and I had gone together in a period of time and and, uh, and I was doing on camera. I think I was on a contract universal on point starring in television shows. And she said, you know, that's a dead end street, you know, eventually because you you you're not going to get to do the roles you want to do, but you do so much stuff vocally. You have such a good time vocally. Let me put together a tape. We put together a tape, gave it to my agent, and he said, hey, I think you have a chance in this, as well as an announcer and all the other stuff. And I said, great, I'd love to do that. That's really what I'd love to do. So I got to play characters I could never do on camera. No matter what I did on camera, even up to Star Trek, yeah. the not getting a chance to really physical character that really interested me. So I wound up doing that. Yeah, that was the, that was my beginning, as it were. Awesome. I I, I saw you even worked with Mel Blanc. <laughs> what was that like? 
Mel was sensational. I, I was brought in. Joni was working a great deal with Mel. They were very good friends and with Noel Blank, his son. And uh, she said, I'm doing a session today. Why don't you come with me? And Noel is doing the session at his home. He has his own booth. And I went. And while I was there, Mel was doing something with Joni. And Noel, Joni said to Noel, uh, you know, Michael does voices. Not that I did, but I did. I just hadn't done anything professionally. And he's an actor on camera. He said, oh, I know, Mike. Said, Why don't you get in there with Dad? And so I should have been wearing Depends. I mean, getting in a booth with Mel Blank. I mean, jeez. Okay. And he said, all right, here's the script. And he put the script up. And they were doing a commercial. And it was a commercial for well, – he, he was an East Indian rug salesman. And I was the young kid asking questions. And I wound up doing, doing it with him. And then he said, Dad, I want you to do an East Indian. You're doing an Indian Indian. You're doing an American Indian. Why don't you do East Indian? He said, oh, okay. So he looked, so he didn't do it. And he said, Dad, I want to – Indian, East Indian, he's an East Indian selling coffers. And Mel said, oh, okay. And then, well, um, at which point Mel said, Mike, do you do East Indian? And I looked at Mel, I thought, oh, Mark said, yeah, I can do it. And then he said, yeah, I do. Because I had watched um, The Heiress, a wonderful film, and I can't remember the actor, brilliant actor who did the voice of, who did a, an, an East Indian. And I said, Mike knew that. And I learned from that. And I said, yeah, I can do that. So I did it. And I said, is that okay with you? And Mel says, boy, check. Go ahead. No problem. Go do it. So I did it. And I did my thing. Oh, great. And it did oh, wonderful to meet you, Dutch, et cetera. And Noel said, great. And then after that, I started to work for Noel. So first, I sort of uh, jumped right in. And then eventually got to Speed Buggy with Mel Blank. Wow. You, and you, did a, you did a lot of Hanna-Barbera after that, I believe. Yes, I sure did. I was very fortunate. It was the golden years, actually. It was when they didn't have to go to network. They didn't have to get approval from some schmuck up there with a, <laughs> with a blue suit who didn't shit from pound cake. And uh, they just said, hey, let's just trust HB. They know what they're doing. But, you know, and that's they just, you know, Joe and and, uh, and Hannah, they, you know, Barbara and Hannah, they said, let's just. Use these guys; they're all good. Let's continue using. They continue to use me. It was almost like a, it was almost like a, it's like a, like a, an acting troupe. It was really super. Uh, <laughs> really uh, what was the most fun you've ever had in a recording session? Probably when I say fun, well, I've always had fun with GI Joe. Was great fun and Transformers was fun because I was. We were all packed in a room. I mean, you get ten crazies. <laughs> and we were all literally over talking each other and, and well, I, I refer to it as vocal baiting I mean, we literally just, <laughs> we just didn't stop we, did, we just went crazy but I think probably the most fun not my favorite thing but the most fun was working with Mel Mel did uh, we did um, Speedbug and as I, as I mentioned and Mel had a Tennessee, I don't, you, you guys are too young to remember the Jack Benny show, but Mel did a car on the Jack Benny show that, that just hard couldn't start. And you go, <laughs> and so he did this car. So now they decided to animate to it and do a series called Speed Buggy. And I was the young kid, right, as usual. And uh, Mel, the first show, Mel did, and I i think I played it heavy because they didn't have to bring, bring anybody else in. And I'm sitting next to him, 
And um, and Mel was working, and Mel and I said, "Well, what do we do now, Speed Buggy?" And he went, <laughs> right across, right down my arm. <laughs> he spit down my whole arm. Because <laughs> you're sitting next to each other, we're all sit, we're sitting on chairs. There's like maybe six of us on chairs. Yeah. You see my boot, and he went, <laughs> and he went back to his script. Didn't even look over to see what happened. I went, "What the." Was that? <laughs> the next time, the next the next show, which was the following week, our guest was Alan Oppenheimer, who was the heavy. So I said, Alan, I'd love you to meet Mel Blank. And he said, Hi, Mel. Oh my God, this is such a treat. Alan was a well-known actor. Mel said, Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. He said, Oh, this is such a treat. I said, You know, Alan, since you're the heavy in the show, why don't you sit next to Mel? Since most of your stuff is with him. And he went, Really? And I see, he says, oh, thanks. That's because I usually do, but then you can sit there. So he sat next to him, and I'm sitting in the next chair, and, and everybody else is sitting in the following chairs, and you know what's going to happen. <laughs> and he's sitting there, and at one point he says, oh, we're going to get you, speed buggy. And I see Alan, out of the corner of my eye, I'm just watching my script, I see Alan go, <laughs> Mel to see if Mel noticed, and Mel's just right back on his script. So he turns around and looks to me to see if I notice, and I'm back on my script. That is the most important thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this is Shakespeare. I'm not looking. And so which part? And I see him go like this, and then then he has the next line, and the next line he's waiting. And then <laughs> and, and Alan goes. <laughs> Alan leans into me. I lean into, I don't remember who it was, and then they lean into somebody else leaning. And all of us are like this in these high chairs. We're like this. It's like you needed a dram then to look at us. And then we all go back. And every time Mel did that, we'd all go here. And I would see Alpha go. And finally, when we had a break, um, I rushed out of there real fast. I ran out the back. I knew I was going to meet uh, Alan in the bathroom, and I didn't want him to stay. And I disappeared. I came back when we were ready to start the session because I didn't say anything. So that's the most fun. And there's no level that Mel was doing that on purpose. <laughs> Mel was so concentrated on what he did. You know, ah, well, that, 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 it's right here. And all that stuff. And he was back again. He never looked at you, which you don't. You've got a script. Yeah. The mic's in front of you. You don't look at anybody else. Uh, funny. Yeah. I'm wondering if it would have been worse if he was doing Taz across <laughs> <me. laughs> the poor people in the booth with him. Uh, and I also have to say out there to our listeners, you can't see the video of Michael right now, but I mentioned how physical is it? It's very physical just watching him do these impressions of these memories. And it's tremendous. And I wish you could see it as well. Uh, <laughs> so you mentioned that was the most fun you've ever had in the booth before. What is your, your favorite thing that you've done? I have two actually. Um, one was for Steven Spielberg called A Wish for Wings That Work. It's a Christmas special, and I did Opus, uh, the Penguin, which was uh, just as for Berkeley Breathed. It's, it, was a, it was a cartoon strip, and they did decide to do the uh, TV series. And uh, Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman played subsidiary characters in it, and I was Opus, the lead character. That was a gas. Mm. That was beautiful, beautiful script, beautifully done. Berkeley Breath is a wonderful writer. Um, I, that, that was a real treat. And, uh, and there's a whole story behind that, but that's another thing. And then um, 
I think Chucky's dad, uh, Chaz, uh, was really a big thrill for me. And then playing Grandpa Boris, which was very much like my grandmother and my grandpa. I made you know sound like them. And though that was fun, but Chucky's dad was beautifully written and Grandpa Boris was beautifully written characters. That was Definitely. great fun that I enjoyed doing. Um, with, with Chaz, he was like a, pretty much an impression of little Chucky. Did the other actors get a kick out of you, like imitating Christine Cavanaugh to come up with that voice? You know, what happened was Christine, when they asked me to do Chaz, I had, I had already been doing, if I remember correctly, I'd already been doing Drew. And they said, we're interested in Chaz. We'd like to do Chaz, too. What do you have any ideas for? And I said, well, I don't know what Christine sounds like because we didn't know each other. So I said, let me hear what she's doing with, with Chucky. So when I heard Christine, I went, okay, I know what I'm going to do with Chaz. <laughs> he's going to have a nasal problem. He's going to have an allergy problem. Obviously, I'm going to add an oil. So I'm going to make him sound like his son, that the son got it from him. <laughs> So when you know, she did that kind of thing, I thought, well, I'd do the same thing and make him this kind of little nebbishy guy. And uh, they, they loved it. They said, oh, that's it. That works. And that's how that came about. That's great. Um, is there, has there ever been a voice that for you, you found particularly hard, like on your throat or just really hated doing? Yeah. Yeah. There's been a couple. I think Thunder the Barbarian. Was a bitch, but you didn't say no <laughs> to, you know, to Hannah O'Bucker. You didn't say no, don't do that. Uh, so you went up going, Thunder! And then two to Jay, you're like, oh. <laughs> and then I think I did a thing called Inhumanoids, which is a television and an, an animated series called Inhumanoids. And I played a giant, like a giant glob of snot. I mean, it was just <laughs> disgusting. And he, <laughs> by the time I was finished with that, and oh boy, that was a biggie. You may as well have been gargling razor blades. <laughs> <laughs> and another funny thing that occurred I was doing God, space, something with space, whatever. And I was doing the lead character, and um, uh, and I think it was, uh, oh no, not space Ace. I was doing, uh, this was uh, Snorks, I think it was. And uh, with Frank Welker and I and a couple of other good people, and at one point, I had to talk underwater. <laughs> and so what I did was I, I had a cup of coffee, and um, Gordon Hunt was our director, and I said, okay, and I looked at the lines, and I filled my mouth with coffee, and I did that kind of gargling thing <laughs> trying to talk, and I was going, okay. <laughs> 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 <clears throat> Hold on, okay, let me try again. And Gordon said, okay, uh, Mike, um, Frank, you have to do your thing talking underwater. Why don't you start yours? And he said, sure. And Frank went, okay, what are we doing now? <laughs> I said, Frank, why didn't you show me how to do that? That's great. It saved me a lot of trouble. And he said, because <laughs> it was so much fun watching you go out. <laughs> Now, do you find when you work with a lot of other actors like that, is that a common thing to sort of play uh, pranks on each other like that? <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. <laughs> if they had the outtakes of G.I. Joe, Transformers, the Smurfs, uh, if they had outtakes, they could probably, oh, I imagine, um, put us in jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was, 
just t- today I was like looking up some uh, clips of your different voices and I found a clip of Duke and just the line there is crazy enough. It's, I'm going to kick the mustard out of that crazy hot dog. Right. <laughs> I'm going to kick the mustard out of that crazy hot dog. Yeah. I love some of that stuff. It was great fun. That was, you know, that was fun to do because you're in a packed room with all these people and you're, unfortunately we were there for eight hours. So after a while, suddenly feel a mushroom growing growing in your chest. (laughs) I got to I got to take a breather here. But we had regular eight hour sessions. Wow, that's uh, is is that pretty standard for a show? Eight hours, or is it? I guess maybe depends on the role. Or it was, it was. We went to strike on it. We struck for a four hour show, and of course we, you know, the producers fought us because they figured screw it, you know. uh, you guys are with us. Yeah, we had other jobs as well. And there was no need to spend eight hours. It really said, well, you, it's like having a huge menu. You know what you want. You don't need 32 pages of a menu. Right. You know exactly what you want. And we knew how to deliver it. And it was crazy for us to spend all that time because we had other jobs and we were losing jobs because we couldn't get out of that job. Not that we, you know, because it, we wanted to work, but we could do it in a short amount of time. So we wound up breaking like that. Yeah, there was it was a point. I mean, it was it was crazy. We're all li- people lying on the floor. We're sitting by the mic, and then you know we're doing all these different voices and you know eight hours because we get your lunch and you're back. And it was just a long, not the worst thing in the world, but we knew we could do better. So we went, we struck on it, and they said, okay, finally, fine, we'll give you four hours. Wow, I mean that's cool. I I, I wish that our generation was more willing to do that <laughs> i think it may be i think there may be i think you know kids today are you know more savvy we but they, you know we were a tough group of, of actors we knew what we were worth and we knew that uh i mean we gave them three voices so if you get 10 actors in a room and you're getting 30 voices out of 10 actors right and that's for the price of one that's right. for the price one actor you're paying so we're saving them a lot of money so come on give us a break yeah, and these days they just bring in like celebrities who can only do their own voice. It seems like <laughs> they did that with. I'm sure you're going to hit on this. They did that recently with Rugrats. Yeah, <laughs> with the new Rugrats, they brought in Tony, and Tony's an enormously talented actor. I loved him on Deep, but I didn't want him taking over my role and suddenly then playing him my tapes as ch- jazz and saying, "Here, do this," and then having Simmons, what's his name, Hank Simmons, to do the voice of Drew. I mean, you have me doing two voices. The two Fig Newtons and a chiclet, and they're giving them, you know, a Mercedes and a and a Tesla. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? Don't tell me about how much money it costs. I mean, for God's sake, uh, I you would have gotten me for a song. Yeah. But for them, they're paying them a symphony, and that's crazy. And why? Because kids are going to say, "Oh, it's Tony Hale." Mm, they don't know. They don't know. He did Veep. Kids weren't watching Veep. They brought in, um, I think, uh, Chumsky to do um, Tress McNeil's role. And they changed, and they changed, I think they changed Kath Susie's role. Uh, yeah. What she stayed with Phil and Lil. They brought yeah. somebody else to do Betty. Yeah. Yeah. So she's still the, on. But it, why? Why would you have somebody else to do Betty? And I don't know who the girl, she's probably very, very good, she's probably a good actress, but because they have celebrity names and they were young and the, the big executives, that's what they wanted. Yeah, so they, I, I mean, what can yeah. I tell you? Let's, yeah, they let's, didn't even. Sorry, go oh, ahead, Adam. I was just going to say, they didn't even, like, try to match Stu. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how could you do Jack Riley? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, Jack Riley has a certain sound. But what you do is 
you look for an actor that has that dry delivery. Yeah. Uh, has right. that nasal kind of back dry delivery. You look for somebody. In their case, I understand. They had to get somebody to play Stu. Right. I understand that. But it's like we did the Smurfs. Uh, one of my major characters in the Smurfs was Grouchy. You know, I'm Grouchy Smurf. Uh, okay, fine. They got Joe Manganiello to do the movie. That's his name, Manganiello, the weightlifter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. T, Mr. Mike, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I thought, excuse me? And he didn't even make an attempt. And and then they got, and prior to him, they got uh, that wonderful uh, Hispanic um, comedian to play the role of Grouchy in the first, you know, movie of, of, uh, of uh, Smurfs. Why? Doesn't What's make the any purpose? Sense. It makes no sense. And both moves bombed. Movies bombed. Both the Smurfs movies bombed miserably because the story sucked and they didn't have good voices. And I, I can tell you right now from when I was a little kid watching anything like that, if somebody's voice was different, I'd be like, why is this different? I don't like this. That that's that would be my first impression as a little kid. Those, those are big people. Those are the people at the top that make that decision, and they feel they can sell it. They have a superstar with some celebrities in it. And we did the we did the Rugrats the movie. Yeah. The first movie we didn't have any celebrities in there as I can recall. And the second one they brought in Whoopi Goldberg, and I think they brought in Bruce Willis or something. And I thought, what's the what's the reason? Why would you do that? Why did why did they have Susan Sarandon, who's a lovely actress? Play this French French character. They could have gotten Tress McNeil, who does a wonderful French character. My my wife Victoria Carroll plays a wonderful French character. There's some wonderful actors out there that could have played that lead. No, yeah. they wanted Susan Sarandon. Why? What was the purpose? Didn't bring any more tickets. Trust me, they didn't sell tickets for Susan. Sarandon. They sold sold tickets because it was Rugrats, right? In Paris, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but. <laughs> um... So let, let's actually talk about the the reboot a little bit. Were you was were you approached in any way? How did you find out about it? No way People at all. I mean, they're going to reboot. They're going to reboot. They're going to reboot. I said, you know, where he's called me, and I was in communication with a couple of the guys, one of the producers, and uh, on Facebook. And I said, you know, I don't know if you guys are planning or not, but I hope you'll think about us. I said, you know. Um, our asses have dropped, but our voices are pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you're going to consider us. And he didn't get back to me. And I thought, well, that's okay. He's busy. And we were very friendly. All of us were very friendly. And then the next thing I know, they said, hey, they're doing the reboot. And then my agent called me. And he said, well, she said, I'm sorry. The, the, the Klosky Jupo is interested. They would like to have you come back. And somebody else wants you. But the big mucky mocks say they want some celebrities. But they're going to give you something. They're going to have you come in for a guest. And I said, no, they're not. <laughs> not they're not, I wouldn't go. I said, I have no intention of going in and watching a role that I created, vocally created, and watching someone else do it, trying to do my voice. I have no interest in that at all. Especially two guys playing two roles that I played. Ain't going to do it. I'm not interested. I don't care what they would offer. And they probably would offer me two fig newtons and a chiplet. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Point is, I'm not interested anyway. Just wouldn't do it for any money. Mm. He, she said, "Well, we'll see." When I said, "No, we won't see." Time comes <laughs> up. Yeah. Wow. You did a, a very funny voice uh, for uh, Metal Gear Solid Three: uh, The Fear. <laughs> do you remember? Fear. <laughs> ah, yeah. Do you remember how you got that job? Like, was that just an audition, or it was an no? It wasn't even an audition. 
when they had the scripts out, they said, pick the roles you like. I said, I like this role, this role, this role. And they brought me in. They had me doing this. I said, that's it. You did it. Done. <laughs> wow. They trusted that we were actors that were able to deliver. It wasn't having to audition. Wow. Not that a terrible, you know, auditions are fine. But uh, half the time now when you audition, they've already got a plan who they want. They already know they want a celeb. They can get yeah. celeb in to do that role because celebs want to do that stuff. For their, so their kids can see them do something other than show their front noise. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, did you ever uh, guest star on a show, live action or animated, that you were a fan of and super excited to be on? Guest star on a live action show? Or animated. Or, yeah, like Star Trek or whatever. Is anything you were already a fan of? Oh, I was a fan of Star Trek, absolutely. And when I read for it, I, I read for the role of Q, actually. For the, oh, for wow. The, that would have been good. That would have been great. <laughs> and there was, there was a, Corey Allen was in there. He had brought me in, and he, he was a, a friend. I'd worked with him years ago in, in theater, and, and I'd done a couple of theater pieces for him, so he had me come in. And I had done something for him previous to that. And uh, he had me come in and read. And, uh, and they thanked me. And when I left, uh, they said, could you wait? We'd like you to read this as well. This other guy said, we'd like you to read this. So I looked at it. I said, this is, um, looks like an older character. He said, well, this character is called Grapplezor. It's a guest lead. I went, okay, great, guest lead, sure. I read, I went in, and I read it with an older voice. You know, I read him somewhere in this area here. He said, no, no, your voice. I said, God, the photograph. He's, the drawing, he's really an old guy with long, gray, shaggy. He yeah, said, yeah. I have a young voice. I went, okay. Then it marked says, okay, so yeah, let's use you. I said, so I got it? He said, yeah. I went, holy cow. And he said, do you remember working for me? And I said, I looked at him and he said, Gene Roddenberry. I went, ah, yes, no, I don't remember working for you. What did <laughs> I do? He said, you did Then Came Bronson with Michael Parks, the pilot. I went, right. You're going to hire me again anyway? <laughs> and he laughed and said, yes, of course. Because I got into a huge fight with Michael Parks. I, and I really stopped production. <laughs> okay, we can't leave that hang. Set. You have to talk about this. <laughs> I walked off the set. Yeah. I said, when you're ready to work, Michael, come and see me. You need time to fuck off. I woke up upset. And all the grips and all the all the extras sitting around were going, shit, you just I said, Yeah. You know, you, you you can't you can't fight with me on this. You can't throw me the wrong lines to throw me off and get away with it. You know, you just can't do that. You wanna improvise? I'll improvise your answer to the ground. But your improvisation was lousy and it wasn't wasn't going anywhere and it was prolonging the scene. And I finally stopped and said, Hey, you know, what's going on? And the director came over, and it was Chris Columbus came over, and he said, what's happening? And uh, I said, he, you know, I, he said, he was saying something, I said something, and finally I turned around, and I said, what the fuck are you doing? If you don't realize, and Chris Columbus, that's not the line. Is that your line? Is that his line? And I said, no, I said, then Mike turns around, and he says, he lost, he forgot his lines. I said, fuck you forgot mine. I didn't forget my lines. You didn't give me the line. You don't even know your lines. You have no idea what the hell's going on. And when you learn your lines, give me a call professional and I walked off and finally they came over and said I think he's ready to go I said is he ready does he have his lines sure okay let's continue <laughs> I've never seen the show I've never seen this I'm dying to see that pilot but I, <laughs> I was thought Gene Roddenberry would say mm, this guy's cool 
<laughs> well, I, I first of all would, uh, before we move on, would like to give you applause right there because that's uh, <laughs> very well done. <laughs> Fine. Okay, so uh, maybe we should actually start talking about Rugrats some more. So how did you come yeah. about working on the show? They call me like any audition. Any audition, we all go in reading for something. We all go in reading for characters. And when we went in and they said, you know, it's, it's you're going to be doing, obviously you have three characters you have to do, or two characters. Grandpa Boris was written Did you have to do these two characters. I said, fine. So I went in, read for Drew. And then they said, okay. And then, then you'll go to Chaz. I said, Chucky, Chucky's dad. And I said, can I hear who's doing Chucky? I think they'd already cast Chris Cavanaugh. Then when they played Chris, I went, okay, I know what I want to do. And I did that. And they went, okay, that's a lie. And then when the time came to do uh, Grandpa Boris, they knew I was Jewish. And I told uh, David and, uh, and what's his name? I said, yeah, I'm, um, let me try something. And I tried my, my grandfather's voice. He spoke like that, you know, that old voice like that. And a nice Jewish sound like this, you know, when I'm talking about. And I went, cool, that's it. <laughs> no fight, nothing, no, oh, let's see, let's see who we can get in here to do that. You know, maybe Five-ish Finkel or somebody. Yeah. No, it was me, so. Oh, cool. Did you have any influence on the character beyond the voice? Or? Yes. Uh, I wound up throwing in a lot of Yiddish terms, ah. which they didn't use. They used a lot of uh, stuff like, they'd say, stuff like uh, Meshuggana, which we all knew. And I would throw in words like Meshuggas and my eyes are shrindling or whatever. And at one point, uh, at one point uh, I was angry at um, my wife. Minka, and uh, and I said, get uh, and they, when they finished recording, said, what does that mean? That means go spit in the ocean. Said, oh, okay. Well, get means go shit in the ocean. <laughs> and they didn't, obviously didn't get on to it. They left it in. And I did, says, I said things like, oh, and then like, go drop dead or something like that. And get uh, I mean, I went, this, did someone do, we played it. Nobody knew. They recorded it. They illustrated to it. They animated to it. And we went to a very, very uh, fundamentalist temple to show. <laughs> the place is packed, packed with the women are wearing um, shaitals. I mean, they got the wigs and they, everybody's in black. And the men have the, 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 the fur caps and the payas. And we're all sitting around. I'm saying, okay, they're going to know exactly what I said. <laughs> and when I hit that line, they broke up hysterically. They roared. They absolutely roared. And the producers were really thrilled. I don't, I don't know how long it took them before they realized it. it's on the air. They can't take it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so whatever it is, I, I, I did a lot of stuff. I that, threw that. Yeah. That's tremendous. That's... <laughs> um. Something I've always wondered, uh, when coming up with the voices, obviously you, you would get a read for or, or scripts or whatever, but would you actually see the designs of the characters before you did the voice? Yeah. Yeah. You did. Okay. In this case, you did. Um, and usually you do. I, they usually send auditions. They usually send some sort of uh, prototype for you to look at. Okay. So as, as I teach, when I said, supposing the prototype is an underslung jaw, some creature, some gnome or troll has the underslung jaw. I wind up speaking like this because the S's. I'm an underslung going, yes, so this is such such such. And I would do that and I would say that my choice. You don't have to do it, but that would be my choice. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Another aspect of the physicality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. You seem to be a go-to for uh, Rugrats with small characters, like different like little roles that would just pop up. Uh, I think on our show, uh, <laughs> one of my catchphrases is like, I think that was Michael Bell. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> you, you showed up as like Mr. Mucklehoney. And, uh, one of our favorites. One of the best written characters. I mean, when they gave me Mr. Mucklehoney, I said, okay, this is going to be fun. I have to laugh incessantly, try to catch my breath. That I had the best time doing Mr. Mucklehoney. I mean, I, I thought he was going to they'd bring him back a couple of times because he was such a wonderful, florid character. That's something we've talked about on the show is why did Mr. Mucklehoney never come back? I mean, you see at the end of that episode, Stu getting the, the contract or whatever with Mr. Mucklehoney. I think the comedy potential is tremendous, not even just between Stu and Mr. Mucklehoney, but a baby getting lost in a toy factory. I mean, come on. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think Monica Piper wrote a lot of that stuff. and She's talented, talented. Yeah. Yeah, we've done that. Huh? Did you get any opportunity to ad lib or improvise on, for the, any characters on the show? Outside like, of the Yiddish. <laughs> the, other than the Yiddish, yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes you, it's so well written, you almost didn't have to. You know, you didn't have to throw it. I mean, if, if you have a funny bone, yeah, you can toss something. I know Jack every now and then would toss something in, and uh, and the kids, and I, I know that Kath and E.G. and, and Cheryl, they would, they would toss a little something in. You can't go too far over the line. You just can't go too much yeah. outside the box. But you can do an um and an uh and an I don't know and maybe a, a, a giggle or a laugh or something and probably get away with it. Yeah, yeah there was uh, one scene that I was particularly thinking of is uh, you and Phil Proctor as uh, two kidnappers for Tommy. <laughs> Bob and and there's a scene where you're arguing about who's going to get the jewels out of the toilet. <laughs> and that just sounds like you're playing off each other so we, much. We did. Knowing Phil, we probably did. We probably did a lot of stuff. I'm sure a lot of stuff hit the cutting room floor that you'll never get a chance to hear. <laughs> uh, Is that a diamond? No, I think it's a turd. Oh, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't sticking my hands in there. I'm not putting my hands in there. Are you crazy? What are you, not to put my hand in there? My hands are my life. <laughs> what, like I'm a member of FFA? Don't be silly. <laughs> uh, tremendous. Something that we have discussed on the show a lot um, is the tonal differences between seasons, specifically between season one, seasons two and three, and then everything after season three. Can you maybe touch on that a little bit? Is it just a difference in the writing, the direction, the creative in general, uh, something from high up? Yeah, it has to be something from high up. Look, they went with uh, All Growed Up, which was not really particularly great. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice here. It wasn't as good, obviously, yeah. as the original. And yeah, there is a different tone. It, it, it happens. There's not much you can do. Nothing we did movies. You know, you get carried away. The old concept of if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, it, it, don't fix it if it's not broken. Why would you bother? I haven't seen the new one. And I'm told it's a whole different look. Yeah. And yeah. some of the sounds are different. And even though they've tried to try to manufacture me, it's just it, you know, uh, and 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 probably um, uh, imagine Kath. Kath's Betty was so sensational. That trailer trash chick was so great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't see anybody else doing that. That does the kind of stuff that she does. 
So I, I think that changed the job. I don't know about anything about the writing. I don't have a clue. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's fine. Monica's back again, so I'm sure it's fine. But I, I really don't know. And they said to me, well, how are they going to continue with the new with the new Rugrats? This is long before I knew it's going to be a reboot. I said, they can always go, because they did all grow up. I said, they can do Rugrats for lost tapes. And I said, <laughs> that would be like the kids, more lost tapes of the kids. That, you know, it's, it's kind of standard, the lost tapes. So I, you know, and then they had to do it with a CGI. I think they did a CGI. It's all yeah. CGI, yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I, you know, maybe it's cheaper. I mean, it can't be cheaper than animation. It just can't be. <laughs> we we've kind of discussed that on our on our uh, podcast here a little bit. It's uh, I don't know. I get the impression yeah. that the CG might be cheaper than hand drawn animation, but it's let's just it's say it's not as good. <laughs> it's not. Well, it's never hand drawn. It's all computerized. Oh, okay. Was, Even the. You draw the characters, then it's computerized. I mean, nobody's doing hand drawing anyway from the days of Snow White and Pinocchio. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. My my wife actually had a question uh, about your character Drew. Uh, she she's uh, noticed that there's like some conflict in that relationship. Do you think uh, Drew is happy with Charlotte, or do you think he would prefer to be with someone else? I think he was so whipped. <laughs> I think what attracted him was her masculinity. I think she was tough. She was a control freak. And I think he was attracted by the. And then he, once he was suckered in, it was too late. <laughs> so kid, look at the kid. The kid is raised by her, not by him. I mean, he's, he's a wuss when it comes to raising that kid, um, you know, Angelica. She's the one. She's the tough one. She's busy. She lives on the phone. Christ. She probably took a phone on her honeymoon. <laughs> I think that he's pretty much whipped. I, I think. I think he'd miss her maybe one episode, then he'd be fighting somebody else. <laughs> um, before the Mother's Day episode of Rugrats, when they explain what happened, obviously, with Chucky's mother, did you kind of develop a story in your mind about uh, Chaz's relationship with his wife or possibly ex-wife? Because there are there are episodes in season one and maybe even two where they reference Chucky's mom, but obviously that's before that was a, a canon thing, I guess. I'm sure that they decided. You know, we always ask that question: Whatever happened to Chucky's mom? Whatever happened to Chucky's mom? And you know, did they? I said they didn't get a divorce. Yeah, and it's, I doubt very seriously. Something happened. She, you know, she. I got. She, I think she passed away. And when they finally came to it. It was such a beautiful script. It was so moving. And I wound up doing it myself, um, you know, in, in the booth. And I see everybody behind the glass booth. You know, they're all, all producers, directors, uh, right there. And I did this scene. And after it was over, I looked up and everybody in the, behind the glass was crying. And I went, wow, do we do a second take? And they said, let it, we're going to talk about it for a minute, Mike. And I said, okay. You can see it being going like this. And they came back and gave me some new lines that weren't as strong or as powerful. Wow. They felt it was too tough, too strong. Huh. And I said, I disagree with you. I think it's, yes, the new one is okay. It's fine. It'll still be very moving. Well, I got to be honest with you. I, I think you hit, hit it on the nose the first time around. They said, we just feel it's a little hard hitting for the kids. I mean, I didn't talk about the fact that the car ran over her and we got so in the street. <laughs> you know, it's just basically, 
it was just a little bit, a little bit more edgy, and I think okay. they deserved it. But I think they said, and I don't know if it happened. I think I may watch it. I think they did an homage. They may have taken it off. They did an homage to my mom at that point. She wasn't passed away, but this is you know to Rose Bell or whatever it was. I think that was kind of sweet because it was Mother's Day. Uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm pride. I'm very prideful of that. That is a, really made me feel good doing. It's one of those things that actors do. They say, "I'm glad I got a chance to do something like that." I'm yeah, that one. Would you say that's one of your top moments for Rugrats? Maybe your top moment, or pretty much my top moment for Rugrats. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I would have to say because it was such an honest script. I think between that and the Passover and the, and the Hanukkah scripts, those are the three that really stand out in my mind. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Kind of jumping off from that uh, question about you doing like minor roles throughout the series. Uh, you probably don't remember this, but in the uh, movies episode, there's like a, a, a movie that the kids are watching and there's two adults in there like making out and there's like kissing, moaning noises. Yeah. And that was one of the ones where I was like, I think that's Michael Bell. And I don't know. It was. It probably, I have a feeling it was. I, said, I <laughs> vaguely remember that. And that's hard. That's not easy to do. I, I have to give it to the people that do that stuff. I was asked to do the Playboy channel. <laughs> just this stuff for the Playboy channel. And I had, I mean, it was like, all right, baby, you know, it's going, oh. <laughs> oh. God. I finally said, okay, I'm, I'm in the booth with this woman who I hardly know. And I said, this is so difficult. How does everybody not keep a straight face without laughing doing this? That's great. <laughs> You have obviously worked with a lot of talented cast members on the show. Um, is there anyone in particular that you were fond of working with? And if so, why? Actually, I have to be honest. I loved working with all of them when we got a chance to work together. Eventually, we stopped. Eventually, they had us work singularly. Eventually, we wound up not even communicating in the same booth. And that's sad because an actor needs to feed off another actor because you they deliver a line that that generates a totally different response from you sometimes depending upon how they deliver their line. Now, granted, we do it over and over and over and over again to satisfy the director, producer, and yeah. people involved. But at least you get a chance to do it with the other actor. In this case, uh, as we started to filter out that you know nobody could make it at, at the same time, so we wound up working by ourselves. So that made it kind of difficult, but I think I think everybody pretty much was was each to work with. Everybody was really really good. I loved working with Kath and mostly Kath and E.G. and Cheryl. That that was always fun. Tress was a gas to work with. She's mm. such a kick-ass crazy lady, <laughs> so talented. And um, Jack rest his soul. I really enjoyed working with Jack. Jack it was was rest his soul was a, uh, a great, um, what is the word I'm looking for, um, like an MC for funerals. When anybody famous died who he knew, he was the MC. Wow. And he'd get up there and he was so funny and so clever without dishonoring the person, but absolutely ripping them a new asshole. And he was really wonderful. 
and he would write these great eulogies, fabulous eulogies. We went to all kinds of events where people had passed on who we all knew, and wonderful eulogies and guests. And I remember sitting at one of the rehearsals in the big room, we were sitting in the big studio before we go in, and I was sitting there, and something got caught in my throat, and I went, <coughs> and I looked up, and Jack was writing something. I said, Jack, no eulogies. It's just a fucking cough. <laughs> Adam, do you have any other questions before we move on to non-Rugrat stuff? Uh, I guess the last one we have on our list is, uh, and you don't have to answer this, but can you give us any Rugrats dirt? <laughs> Rugrats dirt. The no. dirt. Give us that dirt. It's such an innocent group of people, such an innocent <laughs> stuff. I, feel. I can't remember doing any Rugrats. Not to my knowledge. I'm sorry. That's we fine. Had some, I had some, I had some uh, Smurf dirt. Oh, <laughs> Smurf dirt. <laughs> Smurf dirt was after working on the Smurfs for so long. One of the artists came to me and said it's a gift, and he gave me this draw this book of the Smurfs, like a comic book almost. It was quite thick that they had done, and it was uh, pornographic. <laughs> of course, <laughs> it was so great. I mean, everybody's doing everybody. I mean, everybody got into the act. I mean, poor. <laughs> That was on the bottom of six of them, and, and one of them was porking hefty, and the other one is hefty porking somebody else. And oh my god, it was just crazy. Grouchy's getting it on with, I think, um, one of the others. It was just nuts with Gargamel or something. It was just, <laughs> yeah, this, and I had this book. I said, This is a treasure. I can, I, we can make a fortune selling this thing. It's like if Robert Crumb drew the <laughs> true comments yes, of the Crumb, Crumb, good, <laughs> exactly. Now, aren't you glad that I know what the hell you're talking? About? I was, I was, I was, I was throwing it out there. I was like, please, no. <laughs> you kidding? I got a Crumb book at home. Yeah, I, I have a whole stack of American Splendor stuff sitting beside me on my by my desk. So, I just unearthed it. I went, what the hell? Oh my god, yes, I remember this so well. I love that stuff. Great fun. Yeah, good stuff. So we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we wanted to make sure that we touched on some of your work outside of voice acting. Um, can you tell us a bit about what you've done with union work, animal rights activism, any of that stuff? Well, I'm, I was in the board of Screen Actors Guild, and, uh, and I'm now um, I'm one of the 8,200 uh, members of the union that were dropped from our health plan oh, uh, no. because I was on pension. They dumped us because it was costing us too much money, costing them too much money. But the point was that we paid into it all our lives. We paid into it for the past 60, 70 years. So I'm a plaintiff in a suit against the uh, trustees of the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, as far as animal activism, I, I have uh, charities that I support. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'm thrilled that my daughter followed in my lead. She's a marvelous. I don't know if you know Ashley Bell, my daughter. She's she works in uh, some horror movies. She did The Last Exorcism, and uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, something Park. Really, really, really creepy films, wonderful films. But she also produced and directed a documentary called Love and Bananas. And it's about her. She took a trip to uh, Thailand and filmed the rescue of a 70-year-old a partially blind elephant from a trekking camp. Wow. And trekking camps are very big in, in Asia. When people from all over the world, tourists go to ride elephants. Well, elephants don't want to be ridden. 
they're in terrible pain. They're chained all the day, all day long, totally chained until the time they can walk, and then then they're chained back. And these are family animals; these are family social creatures. So she went to film the rescue of one of them, and it's five hundred mile journey to a sanctuary. And she was with him the whole time, and she's in the film, and she interviews. It's an extraordinary film, won all kinds of awards, enormous amount of awards, and she's changed the whole complexion of what's going on in Asia now. They've a lot of those companies now went bankrupt and decided to open sanctuaries instead. Oh, wow. Took them out of chains. So then not many of them are no longer chained. Because the touring the tour guide, the touring companies were saying, um, we're not going to send people there anymore. Mm-hmm. We've seen this film, we didn't realize how a young elephant has to be tortured before it's even put into a trekking camp until it's in a dog. Wow. So frightened of human beings, it will do anything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even know it's mother that ran into it. Doesn't even know what it was. Wow. And you see, but it has a happy ending. It's beautiful film, beautiful music. She wrote, produced, directed this fucker, and she was in her twenties. Wow. So now it's all over the world. They're showing it. They're still showing it. She's getting notifications all the time. We went to Hong Kong to see the opening. Wow. It's I got to check that out. You said it's called Love and Bananas. Show. It's called Love and Bananas. Okay. And if you look at the, uh, in just looking at the uh, the trailer. It's going to drag you right to it. You're going to want to see it. Okay. I've uh, I, I've taught documentary film before, and that's I, I may uh, maybe that'll be something I'll put in a class in the future because that sounds. Great. And the thing about this is, it's not what she calls animal porno. In other words, it's not yeah. animals being hurt. Right, whipped. right. There's a little bit of it, but enough to see what they go through, and then then it's all about the rescue and how to get the elephant in the trick. Okay. It's just, you, everybody's at the edge of this. You have people say to me, I saw it a second time going, get in the truck. Get in the truck. <laughs> and you know she's going to get in the truck. They're going, get in the truck. Oh my God, is she going to get out of the truck? It was, it's just amazing. It's beautiful to see them all together. And Ashley winds up sitting underneath five elephants. Sitting underneath them as they come out to the field to greet the, the person they love who's sitting next to Ashley. And I went, my God, when I watch my kid, Matt, oh, my God, you sat under five elephants. <laughs> I wouldn't sit under an emu, much less five elephants. <laughs> oh, what guts that took. Jesus. Yeah, so, yeah. But if you see um, if you see, if you see, see the last exorcism, you see what an extraordinary actress she is. Okay. On this film, yeah. And the days. If you like films about a crop, um, about the, the end of the earth, it's a super scary film, The Day. The day. Okay. Um, Adam, I believe you had a question sort of touching on animal rights. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow up with that. Yeah. I, yeah, I work in a job where I process animal tissues like on a daily basis. Uh, typically animals that have been killed like after I started my shift in the morning. Uh, and I wanted to know if you had any tips for shifting to using, uh, non-animal products whether in diet or otherwise uh for somebody who's kind of feel starting to feel (laughs) kind of uh not ambivalent uh completely turned off by yeah i'm a i'm a vegetarian or vegan i should say and uh my daughter is a representative for beauty without cruelty there is no need for any animal products uh in women's cosmetics uh there's no need i don't wear leather um i get along real fine and people say to me, because I'm vegan, where do you get your protein? Well, you get protein from legumes and from greens. I mean, almost every green other than a certain lettuces 
Every green has high protein. You don't need a certain amount of protein. All that crap we used to get as kids when you needed, it was the, the, the five food groups or whatever the hell that was, meat and not, yeah. none of it's necessary. The, we could do so much better with the earth. I mean, so much of, of the destruction of our, our ozone layer is because of cow flop and the stuff that goes into the ocean, the cows poop, all that. It's so unnecessary. So that's the direction you can think of. Um, and in terms of uh, items, or you, if you Google vegetarian, vegan belts, non-animal belts, yep. plant-based, plant-based food. I adore. I make a, I make a, 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 a tuna salad out of chickpeas. It's the exact same recipe for tuna, but it's made with chickpeas that you mash. There's no way you're going to tell the difference. And if you haven't had, have you had the, the Beyond Burger or the Beyond Beef yet? Yeah, uh, yeah there's I, some in I, my freezer right now. Yeah. Better Sorry, than Adam. sausage. Better than sausage. Oh my God, that stuff is great. All the Gardein products. Yes. It's all out there, and it will save our Earth if we can. It will certainly save the Earth under the circumstances. So yeah, there's so many ways to go in that. We don't need animal testing at all because once they test an animal, they have to test on us anyway. They can't go from an animal and then get the product to us. They have to again test on us, and half right. the time it doesn't work. Because there are things animals have that are impervious to that we're not impervious to. Right. So it doesn't make it's just it's just old old medicine. I told my I told my doctor be vegan. He says, "Well, my doctor said, well, how do you get your protein?" I said, "Jesus Christ, you're a doctor." A doctor. <laughs> he said, "Well, we don't study nutrition." Well, that's the problem. I said, I, I went out to lunch with him. I said, you're sitting and you're eating a lemon meringue pie and you've got a pot belly bigger than me and I'm older than you. <laughs> Don't you get it, what you're doing? You know, I, I'm not terrible. I have something sugar every now and then. But, yeah. you know, give me a break. I don't eat meat. You're eating, you're eating a dead, you're eating a corpse. Doesn't that bother you? You're eating a corpse? So uh, I have veggie dogs. Love veggie dogs. Veggie burgers. It's good stuff. Tastes great. No, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's plant-based. So there's your answer. Little thing. But I got to tell you one other thing. You appreciate it. You guys watch uh, G.I. Joe? Yeah. Yeah, growing up, definitely. I uh, was asked to do a show, uh, a voice on a show called Community. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Yes. Yeah. That was Did actually see- another question on our list here. <laughs> G.I. Jim, I think it was called, or G.I. George, or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. And they, and they, uh, they bring him, and they, he goes into a coma, and he goes into G.I. Joe Animation Land. So they called my agent, this is before I heard about it, they called my agent and said, we'd love to get Michael Bell coming because it's a character Duke, because he's going to be meeting character Duke, but we don't know, you know, Mike's in his 70s, I think it was in my 70s then, we don't know how he sounds, is he going to sound the same? So she called me, she said, they want to call you, do you mind if they call you at home? I said, no. And he doesn't know if you sound the same, so would you answer the phone? I said, sure. So the phone rings, and he goes... Yeah, and I said, these guys says, uh, can I speak to Michael Bell? I said, oh, yeah, sure. One minute. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> and I got on the phone. I said, hello. <laughs> and there's this voice goes, yeah, uh, Michael Bell, please. I said, yeah, that's Michael. <laughs> and he said, no, uh, I'm looking for Michael Bell who did the voice of Duke in G.I. Joe. Yeah, that's me. What do you want? <laughs> And there's this silence. And I thought before I lose my went, yo, Joe. <laughs> okay. I said, <laughs> I said, no, it's half the battle. 
So, hey, I got it. Good. We'll book it with your agent. Bye. <laughs> That's great. How fun is it to approach an old role like that in a modern parody context? Oh, that was that was a gas. I mean, to given lines, some of those great lines when I think uh, when he goes over to to another girl, he goes over to one of the animated girls or something. He said, "I have a question for you." She's what's this? Said, what do titties look like? <laughs> And then someone comes over and says, Can you tell me where the men's room is? Says, How would I know? I've never used it or something like that. <laughs> and they killed Destro. So you killed him. You killed Destro. I mean, I love that. We don't kill anybody. I mean, that stuff is so much fun. You always want to do that. <laughs> How has our year plus of COVID, COVID impacted you? And uh, what have you done to keep yourself sane? <laughs> well, there's a thing called naps. <laughs> They're tremendous. Uh, I, I'm I'm fortunate. I, I had a good career, so I've got a lovely home. I got lots of land, and I've got several cats and several dogs, and I uh, keep busy. And uh, I work with my daughter. She she does a lot of uh, uh, self taping for auditions, so I'm I'm in there working the camera and stuff like that. And every now and then I get a uh, I get a gig to do an audio, um, an ADR. These are, uh, you know, ADI's additional dialogue replacement for foreign films for Netflix. So I go in and out. He usually called me in to play a 60, 70, or 80-year-old man. I went, Jesus, guys, I, what does that sound like? So I go in, and I'll do the 60, 70, 80-year-old man, and they go, no, use your voice. I said, my voice for an old guy? My, it sounds like my balls haven't dropped yet. <laughs> what? No, we want your voice. Okay. So here I am. That's the voice you get. It's but I do that for Netflix and you know some foreign films and foreign TV and stuff. So I keep really busy. I just did something for what is it for? Uh, Disney. I think it was Disney. I'm not sure, but anyway, I just did something an Italian animated series, an Italian animated film. And I said I don't speak Italian. I know some dirty Italian words, but that's <laughs> They said, no, it's okay. We still want your voice. You're doing Italian dialect. That I can do. And I wound up doing it with all these guys, that wonderful voice guys doing Italian. And they're all speaking to each other. Okay, well, what am I going to say? I don't have to say, you know. So I I would look up Italian phrases on my phone because we're in separate booths because we can't work in the same booth. I'd look up Italian words and I'd press the little button that, that explains how to say it. So I'd learn how to say it and go, Estuvalla de puta. Escuñada de puta. They go, oh, okay, that's good. Was, Fine. <laughs> what do I know? And they bought it and they came back a second time and did it. It was really great. It was great fun. I love that. But that's, it's, you know, that's led up now. And we're all going to go back into the booth. But again, I'm at a career place. You know, 83, there's a lot of young people out there. It's a lot of young guys, a lot of young women out there. And so now I'm teaching. So I teach, uh, as I explained earlier, I teach on Zoom, the voice animation. If you guys are interested, you can go to, by the way, I already have a class that I did years ago on YouTube. It's Michael Bell Voice Animation Seminar, which is a lot of tips on how to create a character. Okay. It doesn't cost you anything. There's, there's no money in that. It's just, you just go to it. I've watched part of it, and I intend to watch the rest of it. Um, it's it's really helpful. You'll find it's very, very helpful. And if there are any um, 
improv groups in your area, in the Chicago area, uh, I would look into them if I were you. Because it helps you develop characters. You help get outside your skin, get outside who you are. Right. start, Start taking on the mantle of somebody else. Remember, plagiarize. Don't shade your eyes. It's why God made your eyes. So plagiarism. <laughs> hey, remember, stealing from one person is plagiarism. Stealing from many is good editing. It's exactly what it, <laughs> and it comes out differently. It's so different. Hey, there's a lot of careers have been based on plagiarism. A lot of careers. Possibly arts. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, podcasting. Um, do you have time for maybe two more questions? Sure. First of all, um, is there, before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug or talk about that maybe we didn't touch on? Nothing that I can think of. Nothing I can think of at all. If, so, if people go to michaelbellvoices.com, uh, michaelbellvoices.com, yeah, then if they want to contact me, uh, I, I generally like to work with actors that um, people have some acting background and at least been in school acting or... Right. Did so, had some training, etc. Uh, even though it's my class, and even though I charge for it, I want to make sure everybody because I got a lot of actors that are professional actors working with me. I don't want to hold anybody up. So um, yeah, so michaelbellvoices.com, they can communicate with me. I what I do is um, to answer your question before. Also, if people want autographed photos, which I always get from fans, I ask them to donate a minimum of forty bucks to uh, an animal charity of my choice. Oh, cool. So they would go to the uh, microbellvoices.com to communicate. I get the information and I give them the information they need. Send me the photo or I send them a photo and I autograph it, whatever it is they want. Because a lot of people want um, Star Wars because they know I did a voice in Star Wars. So they want that, which surprises the hell out of me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, anything you want to ask before I ask this last question here? Okay. Uh, you can say no to this, um, but... <laughs> It would really, really make my day if you said, hello, Stacy, this is the devil in a creepy voice. Hello, Stacy. This is the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you you so much. (laughs) And that is your gift to your wife, is it not? play that if a cop stops you to give you a ticket just put that on (laughs) (laughs) see if they run off okay so last question and thank you again a million times for appearing on the show and sorry again for the technical issues at the beginning i have no idea what it's that was crazy skype slash zoom era i guess um so i have to ask uh what do you think your legacy is or will be as a voice actor Legacy is an awfully big word for such a small job. Um, I'm not sure there's going to be a legacy at all, other than people, you know, once, when, I'm, when I'm pushing up daisies, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember I met him, and I love that character, I remember he did this or he did that. I, there's, I don't think there's any legacy. It's kind of, I mean, I ain't no Mel Blanc. Let's put it that way. I mean, that's a legacy. Hmm. And uh, Paul Freese. And people like that, and uh, those were legacy. Those guys had really on top of it and had huge, massive careers and went on and on and on until they were cut short. But I think uh, I think there'll be people who remember me, and people who remember some of the characters. I'm hoping that uh, 
But the new Rugrats reboot doesn't uh, eclipse the original Rugrats. Huh. The people remember the original Rugrats even more, and then and our characters even more. And uh, that would be nice. That would be pretty cool. And the big, the big one that will last forever, one hopes, is every Christmas. I hope everybody tunes in and watches uh, A Wish for Wings That Work because it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful show. That's about it. Awesome. Well, hey, again, thank you a million. It's uh, more than appreciated. Thank you for all the years of uh, laughs and voices and everything else. Some great stories tonight. And just, again, thanks a million. Really My pleasure. It. Take care, guys. And uh, we're back. So that was the interview with Michael Bell. That was something. He was game with like every question yeah. we threw at him. And I had like a a, a list of weirder questions that I wasn't <laughs> going to ask him until <laughs> until I was sure that or at least uh, partially confident that he might. We had a big list of questions. We met beforehand to figure out a structure and everything. And there were two, three things that I wanted to ask to try and get in there. But it was no major loss. He gave us way more than enough of his time it it was very generous of him uh he's not getting paid for it uh <laughs> sorry fans out there we're not millionaires yet we can't pay you to be on our show we actually didn't even let him cut us off <laughs> we were like okay yeah we probably used up en enough of this man's valuable time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's it's what you do we try to be good hosts here and we want to do more of these interviews in the future. So if anybody listening to the show has anybody that they would particularly like to have on the show that maybe is a possibility, comment on, on our uh, our social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those things. Don't say Jack Riley because he's dead. We would love to have him. Although if you are an exorcist and you can get the ghost of Jack Riley, please contact us at lostcontrolpod at gmail.com. Um <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anything uh, you want to add about my having Michael Bell on our show here, Adam? Uh, it's like it, I never imagined like I'm transporting myself back to being five years old when Rugrats <laughs> started and uh, just talking to Drew Pickles or Chaz. Boris. <laughs> and we got <laughs> some good Boris. Grandpa Boris in there. Yeah, can't forget uh, Grandpa Boris. He's definitely a big part of the show, like at least as far as my enjoyment goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's just, I, I don't know. I never imagined that I could do something like that. So <laughs> it's big for me. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a big for me, too. Uh, first interview of the show, but hopefully not the last. And as I said earlier, we hope that you enjoyed it just as much as we uh, enjoyed doing the interview. So with that, next week, what are we doing? I don't think we've decided yet. Are we going to jump into season two? Or are we going to just do a, a loose episode talking about whatever for a week or two? What do you think? Or should we surprise them? I guess we'll see what we feel like at the time. Yeah, <laughs> really good point. And we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> so uh, with that, as always, we thank you very much for listening to the show. We'll be here next week, 7 p.m. on Sunday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, this is Matthew, and for Adam, thank you, and good night. Or good night and good luck. <laughs> I fucked it up! Damn it! Like what you heard? Tune in Sundays at 7pm to all of your favorite podcasting platforms, or go to lostcontrolpod.com for new episodes of Because I've Lost Control of My Life. You can also email us at lostcontrolpod at gmail.com. That's lostcontrolpod at gmail.com.